With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Back. Um, so we're back in the house. Oh man, 
before we get into the proceedings this evening, allow me to say you could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with us. We appreciate the patronage. Um, before we go any further, allow me to introduce the other two thirds, the illustrious three-man booth. On my right, I got my man, D. Wills. Holla at the people. I'm feeling good. I'm going home. Going home. I'm about to move <laughs> to my home. I'm feeling good. And I'm ready to go. That's what's up. That's what's up. So my man, D. Wills, is ready. He's in full effect. Uh, my man on my left, my man, 100 grand, PLT Sports PhD. What's happening, Captain? I'm doing good, man. I missed you all. I'm feeling like we were all dang, like I showed up late to the party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And it has been a party, man. It has been, I mean, it has been so much going on, man. We just, we, we, we just got to do this for the people, man. It's it's like back when Chappelle was on, you know, and, you know, when Chappelle had his show going and something crazy would happen in the world of entertainment or just something crazy would go down and you couldn't wait for him to weigh in on it through his comedy show. You know what I mean? I, I, feel, like that's who, I feel like that's us, man. And they've been waiting on us to just kind of step in and, and give our perspective on everything that's been going on. Um, there's so much going on. Uh, we're going to get right into the intro to let them know. And we're going to start to break some of this stuff down tonight. I mean, first, I mean, we're going to do an extended funky editorial. This may be all we talk about tonight, and if it is, it'll be great because um, there's so much, so many layers to NBA free agency. We're going to start the show there in the funky editorial and really get into LeBron going home, Melo staying in New York, the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Rockets. I mean, there's just so much going on, the Bulls. I mean, so many power teams are making moves right now. Next year is going to be quite the year, man. There's going to be so much to talk about. Um, Kevin Love is still a, tra- a chip that's out there that has to that has to be a, a chess piece that has to be moved. So there's a lot to talk about with the NBA, and that's good for the league. I mean, if you're talking July 15, and you're still talking about the NBA, that's that's good money right there. That's that's good for the league. That's good publicity. Um, nobody, you know, you're not talking about police lotter, um, but you're actually talking about league activity, that's a good thing. So we're going to hit you off with the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week after that. Um, then we're going to go off the dome, word on the street, uh, and we're just going to bounce around. You know, the World Cup just wrapped up. Um, you know, Mark Emmert uh, went to the Senate and is talking about giving athletes scholarships for life. We got the MLB All-Star Game. This is All-Star Week for the MLB. So we got so much to get into. Um, it, it's just There's just so much to this, fellas. Uh, before we get into all that, allow me to say all guests and hosts come via the Fredericks County Gateway. Fredericks County, a national accounting service where clients get comprehensive support for their business or personal accounting needs. Fredericks County, the official accountant for RSG, tell them the real sports guy sent you. Fellas, man, man, oh, man. It's been a while since I've heard this drop, so i got to drop it off real, real smooth, like, real, real smooth, like, Let's go ahead and do this. Fellas, the one thing we need to say, shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. And speaking of that that drop, you know, for those that don't know, obviously that's James Brown. Um, I'm excited to see his his, his biopic, his uh, biopic movie. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited to see that. Uh, 
I'm kind of no? excited. I, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of excited, but then I'm not excited because it's James Brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand that. This is James Brown. What's wrong with James? So, so say when Biggie's, you know, biopic came out, I was all, I was all fired about it because I lived through it. Right. And James okay. Brown. Okay. Again, like, I have no problem seeing things I didn't live through. Quite honestly, I love seeing historical things. Jackie Robinson's movie. I love those kind of things. But James Brown, I just, perhaps I don't know enough about him to kind of understand how he was a pioneer. And I'm sure there's listeners out there that are, you know, like, what the heck is he talking about? He was a pioneer for reasons A to Z. Go to our Facebook page and paste them. Because um, <laughs> I, I just... Colors. <laughs> I'm not saying he wasn't, but I'm just saying that for the 36 years I've been around, I haven't heard a compelling case yet. But, you know, my parents loved R&B and and soul, but James Brown was not one that I heard much. So maybe I just haven't been exposed to it. Okay, okay. All right. Hey, I I, I think it would be worth checking out, especially if if you're not familiar. I think it would be worth checking out. Maybe catch it on TV, hit it up on Netflix. Don't go drop in. $13 $13 ahead at the theater, you know, with the $20 popcorn. <laughs> well, 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 based on my skepticism, I will go so support it. My wife and I okay. the next date night, whether it's next week. Well, I think the movie starts August 1, so um, I will certainly go see it. Okay, okay, okay. All right, fair enough, fair enough. You know, James, James you know, I'm a, I'm a James Brown fan, Uh if nothing else, in short, James, when everybody else was on the two and the four, James brought funk on one and three. And that's he right. made it work. Mm-hmm. He made it work. You know, that's why he said, Melvin it on the one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's for no other reason that drop. I got to go see it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because they may try, that, that may actually be in it. If that's in it, if that is in it, if that is in it, I might, I might yell out loud in the theater, RSG, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. I want to see who's playing Melvin. Who's playing Clyde? I oh man! Right. <laughs> and so the hip hop beat came off of James Brown stuff. That's true. That that's the other thing, like, man. Yeah. When you really start to listening, when I when I really got into James, I was like, oh, that's you know that's Eric B for president. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you start getting into it. Oh, that's Long Live Kane. You know, you yeah. start hearing all these break beats. Oh, that's the that's that PE joint. You know, you're like, oh wow, this dude basically. I mean, basically, hip hop just took everything that he did and you know reworked it. Um, that's right. But yeah, yeah, check it out. Check it out. It'll be worth. It. It'll be worth it. You know, well, Netflix, uh, I'm looking it. on the Wikipedia page right now, and I'm looking at the cast, and I don't see anybody playing Melvin or Clive. So. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just kind of. Well, that sucks. I don't know. Well, that sucks. I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying it on national radio, so I'm gonna go. But I mean, this, this is what I want to hear. Fellas, on one thing we need to say, shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody wanna get funky one more time. Please. 
Yeah, I mean, there's nobody here playing playing Coleman either, so, yeah. Hey, well, Trump hey. is playing Sam Cook, though. Uh, fellas, I just saw a new edition in Atlanta during Word? 4th of July, uh, July 3rd. Saw a new edition, and all six of them was there. Bobby was there. Wow. You know. Wow. It was, they said they had some new stuff, man. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know. They could have had some new stuff. I mean, there were, out of the 50 or 60 songs they did, there were four or five of them that a lot of us was looking around like, we don't recognize that. But we just thought of maybe it was some Ralph Trust Van solo career. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) so they may have did some new stuff. But I tell you what, they look good, man. They was doing the steps. You know, they all did their individual things and their group things, and it, it was an excellent show. It was in an outdoor place. I forget the name of the park. I think Chastain Park is what it's called. It's a, it's it's like an outdoor type of setup where you can bring, you know, your own drinks and your own food and just kind of chill out, man. And that place was packed with probably 10,000 people. It was it was a heck of a time, man. Nice. Nice. Now here's a here's a here's a uh, nine dollar ninety nine cent question. All right. Um was Bobby Brown because for a while Bobby had one of them loose jaws, you know what I'm saying? One of the, <laughs> his where his jaw just seemed like it was unhinged a little bit and you know, it just kinda moved on its own, kinda side to side like real loose. Was he could you could you see any of that? Was he cool with Bobby? Because Bobby worried me for a while, man. I thought we might lose Bobby. Is <laughs> Bobby all right? Yeah, great question. Bobby Bobby looks fine. They all look great. I will say though, there was a funny Bobby Bobby Brown moment. Um and and so they open the show where all six of them come out and they do, you know, one or two songs that they all did together. Something like that. And then for the next half an hour, forty five minutes each one of them do two or three songs from their solo career. So Johnny Gill did a couple of songs. BBD did a couple of songs. Ralph Trezvan did his song, Sensitivity, plus a couple that nobody knew. And then, um, <laughs> and who am I missing? Am I missing anybody else? And then Bobby comes out. And Bobby does his two or three songs. My prerogative. You know, Tenderoni. Mm. Um, mm. You know, he does those, and then they roll into the next song, which is kind of like a group song. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Johnny Gill came in after him. But Bobby Brown, you know, the music's still playing, and he's done with his last song. He says, I'm Bobby Brown, B. And he didn't say B. He throws down yeah. the mic, and he walks off the stage 25 minutes into the concert. Now, he came back, you know, when you know, it was time to do more group stuff, well, we was all looking around like, Bobby, really? I mean. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he just dropped his. <laughs> like Bobby is the OG say. wild card. Bobby is the OG wild card. He, well, he's not the OG. He's our generation's OG wild card. I mean, he is Lance Stevenson. I mean, we talk about doing all the time. <laughs> Bobby is that cat. He, 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 he's that cat on the team, but you fight him. He's very important, but he might throw down the mic and cuss. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and one other thing that I did notice, I mean, this on the scale of 1 to 10, this show was a 9.95. It was excellent. 
One thing I did notice that I never realized before. Well, Tressman was the lead singer in New Edition. He was simply the lead singer in more songs than any other person in the group. Mm-hmm. And it's really odd that he had the weakest solo career. True. Solo or group, non, non you know, extra career, um, side career from all the New Edition yeah. guys. You know, counting BBD, you like Ronnie, right. Ricky, yeah. and Mike. Counting them together is, you know, as a solo career, their BBD situation. I mean, yeah. Ralph was, I kind of see why Bobby May had stepped out. Because Ralph, I mean, Ralph was singing the lead on everything, man. Yeah. He had that little candy voice, reason. man. He had, that, he had that little that little prepubescent, you know, that little, I don't know what was up with his voice, man. He just had that, like, little, <laughs> it was wispy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like light, man. Like, go lift a couple weights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hit the, hit the bench press. You clear that right up. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a good show, man. My last observation before I let you get back to the rundown and everything else, Marcus, uh, is they were showing videos. So for every big song that they had and that they sang, they would show the you know, the MTV, BET video in the background. I just realized it. I don't think hairlines, like lining up your hairline, I don't think that happened until after New Edition. I mean, these yep. cats, they just, I mean, they had waves starting at their eyebrows. You know, um, <laughs> if my brother's listening, class 88, Calvin Central. <laughs> yeah, and buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I mean, it's like you just went to the barber back then, and they just did everything but line you up. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, your line's straight. Just just kind of let it be wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my eyebrow is touching my hair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll just put this big old seven-inch parch, uh, seven-inch <laughs> right. parch on the side of your head. Yeah, right. Just right. That'll delineate where your hair actually begins and your eyebrow ends. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Devon, I had to go there. Oh man. I know, man. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. Yep. Yep. That is Line Linus yep. was optional for a minute right there. Linus was optional. <laughs> <laughs> well now it's a pre it's a must. I mean cats nowadays will go in and only get a liner. The rest of their joints right. jack. They will only get the line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, speaking since we're on the topic of, of of our our summer concert viewing, man, I saw Outkast. You know, and this is my favorite. You know, I'm a hip hop head to the core. This is my yeah. favorite hip hop group of all time. You know, I was a little late on Tribe Called Quest. I was a little younger in the Midwest, so that didn't really hit me as a kid. Um, N.W.A. was a little too vulgar to be played in the house. I listened to it quietly. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? P.E. got a little play. You know what I'm saying? So those are some great groups in my pantheon of, uh, of groups. Outcast came around right at the perfect time for me. I was in my early teens. They carried me through, you know, my, my teenage years up to, the, you know, my college years. And I kind of grew as they grew. You know what I'm saying? And so that was my group, man. And going to this concert, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. I was seeing, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter. And, you know, there were kids my daughter's age. There were folks older than me. 
know what I mean? You know, like D Will's age, you know what I'm saying? And it was just crazy the cross section of folks here. You had folks that wasn't, you know, Outcast ain't dropped the album in ten years. And you had yeah. kids that were probably seven the last time they put out any new music. And they were there rocking out, man. It was it was wild, man. It was one of those moments where you realize, yo, I'm the old head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great back, show, man. man. When you got to go yeah. to backspin to get your music, you know you the old head. <laughs> hey, hey, this is this is this is where it really hit me, man. We was taking a family trip, driving out to Virginia, and we got the XM radio for the trip. We got XM for the trip so that we could, you know, didn't have to worry about finding stations on the road. And right. that weekend, they had a preview for a '90s station, and I was all about it. <laughs> I mean, I was all about it. I was like, "Yo, this yeah. is what? How come nobody thought about this already? All '90s." Oh my God! Yeah. I mean, right. and at that moment, I was like, "Wait a minute, my my <laughs> my my music is niche. <laughs> it's a niche. It's, it's, you know, it's like Saturday at the seventies. What? <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like Saturday morning. You know, the Sunday morning two hour block. Wait a minute, that's wait. What? What? I'm not. I'm not yeah. really cool no more. Oh, so. You know, it's just one of those realizations that you get as you uh, start to move on up the ladder of age or the ladder of wisdom. Uh, it's funny, though, man. It's funny. But it was a great show, man. Outcast tore it down. You know, it was, it was, one, it was my first time seeing it. Show it was at? Milwaukee. It was at Summerfest in wow. Milwaukee. Summerfest in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a heck of a show, man. They put on a show. You know, they did all of the hits. And and then they did they did the ones that 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 if you were ahead you knew and you knew they were gonna do those if you were ahead you know what I'm saying right like, a lot of folks came for the hey yas you know what I'm saying and uh and, and those those joints but you know the real heads was the ones singing all the words to the other to the to the B sides you feel me the B side so, that's right yeah Outcast had so, Outcast always had quality B sides at least on their first yep. two or three um, yep. I mean, they're B-sides because I remember in college, I had the tapes, okay? Right. And sometimes, sometimes with some albums that were weaker, once you got to the A-side, you know, you the party in your car stopped a little bit until you rewound. With Outcast, yeah. you, you know, you just let that bad boy just go on an automatic go to the other side because you know yep. it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you'd be riding and you had the tape in and you knew when it got to about song six that the, that side was going to run out. So you start, like, rummaging yep. through your little your little armrest to see what other tapes you had. <laughs> like, you hit your boy, like, hey, 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 pop open that armrest. Um, what, what, what's in there? <laughs> right. Right. Some on deck. <laughs> Why don't you get that ready, man? Why don't you pull that out real quick and get that ready. When yep. it's going to pop out, we're going to switch. You know what I'm saying? For sure, for sure, man, for sure. So, you know, as we reminisce and we kind of take ourselves mentally home, take ourselves on those journeys back to where we used to be, LeBron took a, a, a real journey back. And everything that kind of rubbed folks the wrong in my opinion, this is my opinion, I want you all to weigh in, everything that kind of rubbed folks the wrong way about the decision was absent 
and the way he did this. This was masterful, in my opinion. Yeah. And I kind of laid it out so we can go through this bit by bit because there's some layers of this that I really want to make sure we talk about and we give voice to and we give our perspective to um, because I don't think folks are going to get this nowhere else um, other than with us. Um, So let's start out with the letter itself. Um, I want you guys' impression of the letter itself that uh, Lee Jenkins and LeBron crafted together. It was released um, through SI.com, and it just laid out beautifully, in my opinion, um, exactly his reasoning um, for the move, uh, the thoughts behind his decision-making process. Uh, so I want to start with you, PhD, because you're, you're real close to the epicenter of all of this, being in uh, northern Ohio. Um, how, how did the letter hit you? Well, it hit me, I thought it was great. And, you know, I'm I'm one of those few people who who have kind of really stood by LeBron's side throughout just over the past four years of the blunder of the decision to... I thought the letter was so touching, man. I felt like there was this level of transparency and... And, and just an overall, um, it felt like it was very thoughtful. Like he had four years to figure out, okay, clearly I've messed this up with the decision, but what could I have done better? If if I could do this over, what would like what could I have done? And this is what he did. You know, just just things like saying that everything, like nothing is given in Cleveland. Everything is earned or Northeast Ohio, however he said it. And you look at LeBron's game and and just how he has chosen to keep the people that he grew up with so so close to him in terms of his business manager, his advisors, and you see how important family is to him. And everything came out in that letter. I think he did a good job sending a shout-out to his Miami Heat peeps, you know, to like to the organization, also to his teammates, and just thanking them for the ride, the fans. I think he also apologized again, you know, very implicitly to the fans again of Cleveland. Like, listen, you know, I made this move for this reason. I could have done things differently, but I didn't. I wish I could have. And he also laid out expectations that, which is reverse of what he did going into Miami, not four, not five. I mean, he simply said, "Listen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring a championship, you know, and I understand that we're not in a place right now to be a favorite or to be a contender." But he also, but there was also a sense of, "I'm still going to try my best, and my expectations are still going to be high." So, I I felt a level of, um, like this could be the way that things happen moving forward. Kind of like when Kevin Durant, like Durant did his decision and Kevin Durant Durant came out, it was either that year or the next year or, or soon thereafter, and pretty much said he was going to re-up with Oklahoma City just through a tweet. I'm back. I signed. Period. And what LeBron did um, is something that was really, really original. We talk about LeBron and we talk about Jordan we talk like we talk about LeBron historically because we see that he's a once in a lifetime type of talent, but so far there was nothing that really 
um, he had did that, like, in terms of his body of work, in terms of his actions or stuff on the court, what we could identify as that's LeBron's move or that's going to be his legacy or, you know, he brought this to the table that nobody else had ever done before. We're starting to see, see, see things that he's doing from a business standpoint, from a PR standpoint, and just from a personal standpoint, specifically with this letter and also with his contract, you know, two years, I got a one-year, you know, option. So guess what, Cavs? I'm going to keep y'all on the hook. Don't don't get lazy. I mean, he, he's doing things that I think are game-changing. And even those who have a hard time liking LeBron, I think you're getting to the point where you have to respect how he's developing as a person and also just just as a professional. Well said, well said. <clears throat> Excuse me, and to piggyback off of some of those points, um, yeah, I think regardless of how you felt about the decision and how you felt about these past four years, this letter was very earnest, honest, and heartfelt. D. Wills, what was your thoughts on the letter? Let me turn back the, uh, the clock a little bit. And part of my reaction to the decision is what I liked about LeBron is we're all three of us are from the Midwest. There's a certain value system about the Midwest when you grow up around Detroit, you grow up around Cleveland, you grow up around these kind of industrialized, rust belt cities of the north. There's, there's a piece, there's a quality about how people handle business in the Midwest. And one thing about true Midwesterners, they can go to places like Miami and New York to visit. They just don't go there to live. You talk to somebody from the Midwest like, yeah, I have a good time in Miami, but i got to come back. Good time in New York, but i got to come back. There's something about a Midwest. And so when he left, it was so different from who he was because around what I, I, I believe he had these real strong Midwest values. What I saw in the letter was a return to that. It was an understanding. What I loved about it when he said that going to Miami was like four years of college for him because he didn't go to college. And that's what you do learn in college. You understand, you begin to, when you reflect and you go through, you understand why your parents did things a certain way, why you loved or worked a certain way. He was able to reflect. He always looked a little uncomfortable in Miami. Like, he played well. But that wasn't his environment. That's why he always went back to the Cleveland area, to Akron, to do things in the summer. There's something about, unless you live in the Midwest, there's something about it. When I used to travel and, and do recruiting and admissions work, I used to love, I go, you go to those cities, you go to those things. But what I loved about it is coming back to the Midwest because then I could breathe. I could slow things down when I needed to. And LeBron always had that element. And so when he did the decision, he was, it felt, this, was a, this was his sense of going back and, and people are like, well, is he trying to write a wrong? No, I think what you learn when you go for four years of college or whatever, you start to understand what you really care about. And I think there was a moment when they were getting beat by San Antonio, when he was looking over at Duncan, I think it was in that moment when he understood what he really cared about. And I remember in his press conference when he talked about in admiration about the Spurs, about how they play as a team, 
you know, LeBron is more in that element of how he likes to play. But I think more so he saw another superstar that had this sense of, of, of this kind of soundness and, um, and this sense of, of, of completeness in, in, in a small market. And so and you, and I was always wondering what that exchange was like at the end of the series between Duncan and LeBron. You know, it would be interesting to see what, what Duncan actually or here, what Duncan actually said to him. But I think at that moment he realized, you know, Miami was great, but there was, there's something about the way Duncan has led his career. He always, it seems like he always has uh, been frustrated by San Antonio, but he's always admired Duncan. And I think, I think he kind of reflected on that. He watched how he built that. He watched the sacrifices they made. And so I feel like he's going back to his Midwest roots. I think you're right. He is being smart about it because that's what happens when you go to college, you go off. You get a little smarter. You grow up. You know, there's certain things you're just not going to take for granted. And so I think he's re-entering with the right kind of stress and leverage to make sure things happen the way they need to happen. Um, but I, I thought the letter was excellent. Yeah. And the piece of the brilliance of all of it was, you know, how he structured the contract going two years. Not only does that put pressure on the cast, but it also the TV deal, is uh, the NBA's TV deal is up in two years. And so when they sign a new deal, revenue will go up. The, the piece of the, the, the amount that his old players will go up, so max contracts will go up. And so he, he, he's, he's, he is one step ahead of the game right now uh, as far as doing his business. Now, the thing, the way I saw the letter was him transitioning as we all transitioned um, at some point in our lives, especially us three as married men, um, where you move from really that bachelor kind of phase and you really start to settle down into I'm grounded, this is my family phase. And yeah. I think when he left for Miami, he was 25. You know, at the height of his his popularity, his boys was at the height of their popularity. It was like, you know, it was like I'm going to go down here, kick it with my buds, kick it with my boys. We're going to play some ball. We're going to win some championships. It's going to be entourage to level 10. You know, and I think he wanted to do that, you know. But as they, as they all say, man, when you start looking around, you're the old head in the club, you know, you start to, your priorities start to change. You know, it, you, start to, you start to kind of ground yourself a little bit, you know. And I think, you know, he has two, two, two young sons. And I'm telling you, the game changer in any man's life is having a daughter. You know, you have a daughter, and you start to think, okay, so, all right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta switch up what I'm doing. I gotta think about my life a little, think about my choices, my decisions a little bit. And then also, I think, okay, how, how do I, what kind of values do I want my children to have? You know, mm-hmm. and you know, Miami's a great place. There's nothing wrong with Miami, but I'm sure at some point he thought, you know, I want my children to, to, because I think we all want this for our kids. We want them to come through and, and get the good parts of our upbringing that made us tough, that made us persevere, that made us strong, that made us successful. And yeah. oftentimes as a parent, the only way to guarantee that is to put them in that same kind of environment, you know, in that same area where they can, where they can touch some of those landmarks that you, you, you go into the same parks you used to hoop at, you know, 
for me, it's like taking my daughter to the park where me and my brothers used to hoop at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going to the spot where, you know, you, you, you first dunked and, you know, you fell off the rim and hurt yourself. You know, taking them to those <laughs> lands where we used to live over, you know, driving past the old house you grew up in and being like, oh, yeah, we used to live over here, taking them to the old neighborhood. Those kind of things, he doesn't have that in Miami, you know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that, that history. His roots aren't there. And when you really start to see your kids growing up, you want them to know where they come from. You know, you want them to know what kind of a legacy that they're carrying with them. And so it, it humanized the heck out of him to me. You know what I mean? And it showed the maturity and him kind of making that step from that bachelor phase to I'm a family man. And this yeah. is about more than just, you know, a single-minded pursuit of championships. This is about you know, uh, a greater a greater moment for my family, for myself, and ultimately for my community. Um, so I just thought the letter was, was – was, it was – I I had issues with the decision. I I have no issues, and I'm I'm in awe of the letter. It, it, was, it was just wonderful. And we'll get into – and I want to get into some more, some of the statements he made in the letter. The next thing I want us to talk about, is the actual choice he made from a basketball perspective. Cleveland over Miami. Um, as this was building up and as, you know, the days leading up to it and people were kind of getting frustrated with the fact that there hasn't, hadn't been a decision made by LeBron and how, for whatever reason, I don't understand it, but for whatever reason, his decision was holding up some deals for some other people when really only a couple people were in play as far as teams. You know what I mean? So people are getting frustrated with that. There's so many rumors going around about whether he where where he's going. You know, Cleveland starts to kind of on the sneak tip make moves to clear space so they can get him, so they can sign him. Um, so then people start really building up the buzz around Cleveland. Um, and then you know Riley and D Wade and Mickey Aronson go out to the Vegas, go out to his camp in Vegas and kind of meet with him. And then you know throughout this whole process, LeBron was kind of pretty chill. Um, wasn't saying too much. Rich Paul was handling everything. LeBron was quiet. The choice between Miami and Cleveland. Miami, you got Miami, an established organization that's won championships, and you got Cleveland that has some young pieces in place. Outside of his personal reasons from a basketball perspective, he will, what do you think kind of tipped the scale for Cleveland? When you look at these two, when you look at these two situations, you know, help help me understand kind of what do you think LeBron was thinking when he looked at the two setups from a roster, player personnel, organization perspective? Well, I think this is where that, you know, uh, you kind of say kind of growing. I think this is where he went karate kid, and now he's got his wax on, wax off. I think where he's at right now, <laughs> where he believes, he kind of understands, and I think this is part of the the the, um, the apprenticeship he had under Riley and watching how Riley worked, that he thinks he can bring to this organization. Because a lot of people are saying, well, it's a bad decision from a basketball standpoint. In fact, I thought the move to Cleveland, because of the way LeBron likes to play, and this is why I get back to the whole San Antonio thing, and moving back to his magic role, less the Jordan role. What I, what I see with this youth movement that they got in Cleveland, I think the, the ability that they have to bring in some veteran pieces, um, to be more versatile. Um, I think Cleveland is going to be – I think they're going to have an immediate impact. 
now uh, and be at a challenge because I think there's just too much stuff happening in the East um, right now. And I think when he looked at the talent, the young talent, he looked at the ability to, to break some stability to the locker room. Part of Cleveland's problem is having veterans in the locker room who get a cat like Deion Waiters or someone like that to settle down and focus. I think he believes he can get to some of these young kids. Kyrie Irving, like in, in, in Game Change, you've been talking about this. I mean, this is a guy that's virgin on – he can be a superstar, like big time. You know, this is a guy that you know can give you 30 on any night. And for LeBron, having somebody like that who can control the ball and allow for him to be much more flexible. But then the other side is that he's got some – you know, you talk about Verjao and, 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 and some of that. He's got some pieces with folks that can help defend and, and be a little stronger, even though they're, 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 can be a little stronger on the boards. And then I think the I think the hidden part of this that could be could be the Anthony Bennett piece. Everybody was down on Anthony Bennett. But I think yeah. I think I think LeBron building his confidence up and being a leader and getting yeah. Anthony Bennett to realize his potential could be scary. Now you take that with the kind of room they got moving over um, and how yeah. the kind of moves they can make, I, I think Cleveland is scary. Um, given what LeBron is. So I thought from a basketball standpoint, I've listened to a lot of people on the national level, I was like, he knows what he's doing. If he can mess around and get Kevin Love in the deal, then he's really going to be in good shape. So I, I loved it from a basketball standpoint because of where LeBron is developmentally now. It, you know, that's where around the mentoring, around the around the helping to build the capacity building kind of stuff that I think he really wants to do and not be so caught up in this control of star power stuff that's happening in Miami, but really build a team. I think that's what he saw in San Antonio. And he's got, he got those kind of pieces right now. The big question was Dave Lott, who has got a great reputation. But I think there's been, there had to be some back-channel conversations about is he the kind of coach who can actually put this together. I think he got enough confidence that, you know, this is the kind of guy that could be elite uh, coach uh, uh, in uh, in the league. So I think for a basketball thing, I'm – I'm different than a lot of people. I think it was a real good basketball decision. I think it will prove out to be that way. Mm. And they just added yeah, I, I, for three years. I mean, yeah, that's some great question, Mike Miller. Yeah, some excellent points. I'm going to turn it over to to PAD. You know, he was agreeing with a lot of what you, of what you were saying. What was your perspective, PAD? I think clearly from a basketball standpoint, Miami was the place to be and to stay at. When you look at Cleveland, so so first of all, the Miami Heat have been to four consecutive NBA Finals, winning two of the four. <laughs> and then you transition to a team who, since he's left, has had the worst record collectively in the league. So I think from a basketball standpoint, the Miami Heat would have been, like, it would have been easier to stay there announce earlier staying, and then try to attract uh, these role players um, through free agency to Miami and hope that the team would make some additional moves. Um, However, I don't think moving to Cleveland was a bad move. I don't think basketball-wise it was a bad move. For all the reasons Devon just mentioned, the key one he mentioned I think is Anthony Bennett. The Cavs right now, they have four number one picks on their roster. 
I'm sorry, they have four overall number one picks in the entire draft. When you look at LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Wiggins, and Bennett, and I have faith in smart people. And people that run NBA franchises are very smart people. And it it appears that Bennett was a bust. Kind of like in the same way that the big guy um, that Michael Jordan drafted helped me out, the seven-footer. Um, Kwame Brown. Never really, Kwame Brown. But guess what? Kwame Brown never played with Michael Jordan. <laughs> he never had the opportunity to play with the best player ever. Um I'm sorry, the best player in the game, you know, during early, early in his career. I mean, later he got a chance to play with Kobe. Then it's going to get a chance to play with the best player in the game his second year. And like Devon said, LeBron has made a career out of making people better around him, elevating their games. Think about when he took them to the finals in 07. <laughs> Again, this, this team was only two years removed from being in the finals. You take LeBron off the squad, and they're the worst team in the league. He makes everybody around him better. So if anybody can revitalize or give this kid's career, uh, you know, a breath, I think it's LeBron. So they have the talent. I'd love to see them operate. I mean, if they can get Kevin Love, great. But in some ways, I feel that with the talent they have, there's a chance they may be able to make something happen in a couple of years. I think getting somebody like Kevin Love moves that forward, but then you have to think about how much more can you do around you. It's almost the same situation you had in Miami where you've got these three max or near-max contracts in Irving, James, and hypothetically Love. What more can you put around them? And after Wiggins and Bennett come, you know, it's been it does develop. When they come out of their rookie contracts, you might be in the same situation the Thunder was in a few years ago. Who do you have to let go? So I think it's a it, it's really of a collection of options, which makes Cleveland a great situation. I'm not concerned about Black. You know, people were concerned about Spolster, and look how that worked out. So I I think it was a great move either way. Um, I think basketball-wise, Miami would have been the better move, but Cleveland was certainly a strong move too. Yeah, and as as I looked at it from uh, from where I sat, um, you know, Miami, if you want a sure thing, um, if you want to know that you're going to be a top three team in the East again, um, then, you know, you go back to Miami, you, you know, get D-Way healthy, you come back with Bosch, and, you know, y'all watch, rinse, and repeat um, the same process again. Um, tinker with a few parts here and there. I think what got, I think, from a basketball perspective, what really tipped the scales was the fact that, you know, the money piece with, with between those three guys and this new CBA was designed to prevent those guys from being able to do what they did in 2010. There's no doubt about it. We said it. Um, when they signed the CBA, that there's no way that they're going to be able to keep these guys together when they come off the books and be able to put a significant, a significantly competitive group of guys around them um, year in, year out. Because, you know, there just wasn't the market for those veterans who were willing to take less to win a championship. 
that market wasn't there this year. You know, and that's what the for a team like that, that's what you have to thrive on. It's finding those vets who are free agents who will be willing to take less money. And it just does that just there aren't those guys out there. Everybody coming off their deals now were twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine year olds who still feel like they got three, four more years to be paid. You know, yeah. good money. And so they're looking for that next deal. They're not looking for, you know, okay, I'm, 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 I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to get a ring so I can be a champion, so I can, you know, do public speaking engagements as, a, as an NBA champion, you know, that, you know, and set myself up in that light as I finish up. These are like, I got one more check before I got to think about that. You okay. know, and so there just wasn't that market. You know what I mean? And so that kind of handcuffed the heat a little bit. And then, you know, Wade's performance wasn't stellar. He wasn't himself. Um, you know, Bosch was willing to take less, but they weren't willing to take significantly less. Like, that's the other thing. Yeah. LeBron came out and said he wanted Max, you know, which that is what it is, best player on the planet, you know. If Wade and Bosch weren't willing to take 12, 11 mil a year, they really were stuck. You know, yeah. they really were stuck trying to, you know, Ryder was really going to have to pull a rabbit out of his backside, you know what I mean, to really get this team to a place where they were better than what they were this year. Um, and and, and, and so, that's, the point, that's the point you're hitting that's really important. We're saying this basketball season, uh, decision is on the Miami side, assuming he could pull the rabbit out the hat and assuming that Wade is going to improve on his performance that he had this year, which that's – I'm not seeing that, and it's assuming that you are expanding Bosch's role and getting him closer to the basket. I mean, if you don't do those things, they're going to struggle through the playoffs next year with that yeah, team if yeah. you don't pull the rabbit out the hat. So it, I'm not seeing that as a better basketball decision. Right. You're, I think right. it's you're different. The big I don't think you're getting the big three. I think one of the things LeBron learned from last time is, and again, we all live and learn. I mean, you negotiate one job offer, and three years later, you you know all the other stuff you should have asked for. LeBron, when right. he moved to Miami, he asked a lot of questions. He, you know, he, he did a lot of things right in terms of negotiating stuff. But I think one of the things he learned was probably with with Dan Gilbert. You know, they had the conversation. They got over all, all that stuff. LeBron was probably like, "Listen." Mark Cuban, you see how he spends, you see how he's willing to go into this tax, this luxury tax, are you going to be willing to do that? Uh, because the Miami owner was not. And in some ways, yeah, it is up to Pat Riley to pull something out of his butt if the owner's not willing to, you know, right. pay a bit more or go into this dollar-for-dollar tax. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, as sure as I can be, LeBron probably had that conversation, listen, years down the road or, you know, we have an opportunity to get this player and it's going to take us $15 million over the cap. Are you willing to do that? Because, you know, this is what it's going to take to win. And it's one thing for Gilbert to say yes. <laughs> it's another thing, LeBron, which the way he structured his contract, he's making them do that. Right. And so whatever promises were made, it's not going to be, after year one, yeah, we didn't get a chance. We're going to work towards that for year two. No. Mm-mm. Make it happen. <laughs> Pay me. Yeah. <laughs> Pay me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I really like the decisions he made. And, you know, Devon, you bring up some good points, man. I, I think it was close which was the better basketball decision or not. 
um, Miami or, or Cleveland. I just I think the entire Eastern Conference right now, <laughs> the other 13 coaches are jumping up and down because they had no answer for Miami. Uh, <laughs> no answer for Miami. And guess what? Miami's broken up now. And, and I'm going to say this. Miami have father time uh, coming off the bench as a sixth man. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> the clock was ticking. And yeah. father time was at the, was at the, at the, at the, at the table with, with, the, with, the, with the sweat top on, checking in for D-Wade. And that's the part. I don't know if LeBron trusted whether or not D-Wade was giving in. What do you think about their relationship? Because when I watched that, there were some strange things happening in that final series. There were some realizations. You know, we all got brothers. You know, we all, you know, you be in a study group, but there's points when you look at your boy and you say, this ain't going to work. Did y'all see that? You know, I think, I think, I think it, it came to a realization where, you know, if they, if they got the relationship that they say they got, D-Wade had to tame in the room and be like, yeah, I, I ain't what I was, man. I'm, I'm probably not going to be what I was no more. Do what you got to do. You know, I'm, I'm staying here. This is me. You know, this is where I'm going to be. Um, if you come back, great. If you go, I understand. We still boys, but yeah. I, I, I can't be what I was, my knees, my body. Because that's the other thing. Every athlete knows it. You know what yeah. I mean? Every guy knows your body has, a, has an expiration date. You don't. You can't see it. It's on your body somewhere. It's stamped on a body part. All right, that expiration date is stamped on a body part. You know, seven fifteen, two thousand fourteen. Your knee is gonna be done. <laughs> right. Whether you know it or not. That's Whether you, you know it or not. It's it's it, 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 your back, your elbow, your ankle. It's a date on, on some somewhere on your body. It's a date stamp that you can't see, and every athlete knows it. Where your body's gonna say, "Guess what, dog." I'm done. <laughs> this is it, son. This is it. No more. No mas. You know what I mean? And D Wade, if he's any kind of a stand up guy, he had to be like I, I just you know we tried it. We tried to sit me out and that didn't work. And I this is what I'm gonna be. You know what I mean? Right. And if you can I find a better it. spot. I can, on it. I can put something on it, yeah. I got it. Exactly, exactly. I ain't got it, but I can put something on it. I'm going to be here in Miami. I'm going to opt out to give some flexibility for you guys. But um, if y'all want to go someplace else, I ain't going to fault you for it because I can't be – when you sign up to play, you sign up to play with a certain version of me, and I'm not that anymore. You know, and if that if, if that happened – and that might have happened at some point in that series where D-Ray was just looking like, dog, I can't do it. Like, and LeBron's like, come on, man, come on, you can, you can. And the race is like, I, I can't. You know, at the end of my college career, there was a point. There was a point where my knees were, anytime we had back-to-backs, you know what I mean, that second night, for whatever reason, I was laboring, you know. And it was just like, I knew it. And I knew it. I knew it going into that night. Like, oh, gosh. Second night, second game of a back-to-back, man. How am I, like, you just, you like, okay, how are my legs going to feel? You know what I mean? Like, how am I am I gonna be able to do this? And then you get out there and you just can't carry the load. And so it's it's just you know. And you know and you just kinda of like, okay, all right, I gotta figure out something else I can do to help out the squad and 
you know, they made they made an agreement to come there and play together under the guys uh, under the kind of unwritten assumption that they were all going to be at their peak for an extended period of time for them to see this through. And they're not. You know, D-Wade is breaking down. D-Wade, you know, he's a player that survived and, and dominated off of being playing with a reckless abandon and playing with a level of athleticism that his opponents, strength and athleticism that his opponents couldn't match. And, you know, that reckless abandon has built up wear and tear on his body that has taken away some of his athletic gifts, and he's just not the same guy anymore. Um, the Cleveland roster is so intriguing to me. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I was hoping LeBron went to Cleveland just because it's more entertaining. Um, yeah, the Heat coming back, that would have been great. But just to see, like, you never get to, when have we ever seen a guy who's supposed to be next get to play with the guy who's got it? You know what I'm saying? Right. Wiggins is yep. supposed to be the next guy. It's like if Kobe had came in and got drafted by the Bulls. You know what Tim I mean? Duncan, and gotten to play Tim with Duncan, Robinson. <laughs> yeah. But but even but Robinson wasn't Robinson. He wasn't he Robinson was like D Wade, where Duncan yeah. came in and, and Robinson was still good, but he wasn't twenty seven, twelve and three and a half blocks, Robinson. You know what I mean? He wasn't that David Robinson. <laughs> right. He was like nineteen yeah. nine and a block and a half. You know what I'm saying? Still really every good. other every other night. Every other night. Right, but not the Admiral. Right, but not the Admiral. You know what I'm saying? You know, well, I said every other night. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That was that was that was the Admiral then. You know what I mean? He wasn't he wasn't young. He wasn't young David Robinson, but he was still good. But this is like prime LeBron's only twenty nine. You know, this is like prime Mike getting you know, uh, a fledgling Kobe to mold. And that's, that's, that's interesting to me. You know what I mean? To see how that works out. You know, to see, and the, the Anthony, the, the Bennett kid, you know, to see these guys with, li- with loads of talent, enough talent to be a number one pick, you know, usually where number one picks go astray is they don't have an organization and infrastructure around to really help them mold themselves from a mental perspective and from a work ethic perspective to maximize on their skills. You yeah. know that they're gonna that, that they're gonna have that role model right there. You got the best player in the world. You're seeing how this guy works. If you're not doing that, you're not trying to get it done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no if ands or buts about it. You know, if you're not matching LeBron's work ethic, you're not trying to get to that. Like you get to watch, you get to watch the best in the game do it, and that's got to have a profound impact on those young guys. Now, whether they move one of those young guys for love or not, I still think that's interesting too because. The thing about Kevin Love is he's only 25. Yeah. It seems like he may be older. He's only 25 years old. And so, you know, we talk about windows. LeBron was on a team with a closing window. He was on a team with a window that was still open, but not as open as it was two years ago. And two years from now, it's going to be a little bit more closed. LeBron just kicked open the screen door. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. Right. And he did it in a conference where they may be a, a three seed or a four seed, but in the East, nobody's got it. You That's know what I mean? Point. The team that had it too. broke up. You know what I'm saying? That's a key point. The team that had it broke up. And so all he got to do is get these guys in it, and he can do the rest. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Get me in the playoffs. Hit a few. I mean, I mean, if I was a Brown, I'd go in the locker room and say, look, man, I took Mo Williams and Booby Gibson to the finals. We good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where are they now? <laughs> although, although I, I will say that there is something about continuity. There is something about continuity where absolutely, absolutely. For the most part, LeBron was with those guys when he took them to the championship in '07 or '08, whatever it was. He was, he had been with those guys for um, at least two or three years, like the core. I mean, his first year or two, those were the you know, Dewan Wagner and Ricky Davis days. We you know, we're not gonna count those first year or two, but you know, guys <laughs> like Elgalskis. And Virgil, and you know Williams was a was a, a guy that came in. Larry Hughes. I mean, he had a chance to kind of build that core together. I think expectations need to be tempered. That because we see, even when you have three of the best ten players in the league, that doesn't always mean you're going to win. I mean, that's what happened in 2010 with Miami when they lost to right. Dallas in 11. Yeah. He doesn't have nearly that much talent with him. But I tell you what, if he can find a way to play, like, the key here is Irving. Irving is mm-hmm. used to playing with the ball. Irving yeah. is used to playing with the ball. LeBron is at his best with the ball. We saw what happened with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh when they didn't have the ball as much. And they weren't as dominant as, as players. Now, big guys, like somebody like Kevin Love, taking pop, I think that's going to accentuate his game. But with Irving, I mean, how does that work? I mean, I think you can work him in with the second team and do all these different things with LeBron's resting where they can kind of, you know, feature him. But what about those 20 minutes a game, those 25 minutes a game when they're on the court at the same time? You know, mm-hmm. you just can't have this be a guy that's going to be sitting in the corner looking for jump shots. So, well, I, right. I, I mean, but I would say that's that, that's where LeBron's improved post game comes into play, where he's able to create offense down the post, so Kyrie can have it. I think this opens up Kyrie's game in a whole nother way. I think oh, he's sure. going to have a big season. I think he's going to have a big season, which is you think about him who. Who's going to challenge him at point guard really in the East if he's able to just do his thing? Uh-huh. Think about that. Yeah. And this is and then when you start to think about those pieces and the actual pieces, the Kyrie Irvins, the Andrew Wiggins, the Anthony Bennett's, you know, and then the Kevin Love potential, the pieces are are just it's just fun to think about what what the possibilities with these pieces cuz you know, you got the Kyrie I mean, just think, you know, if they keep Wiggins, you know, and he is what he's supposed to be, you know, they could be really scary in a couple years. Yeah. You know, they could be really scary. And the other piece about it, I think, and, again, this is LeBron being a little bit of a step ahead of everybody else. LeBron also, I think, understands his CBA better than any player, you know, that, you know, he wanted to be the union, the leader of the union. You know, so he he's delved into this CBA. You know what I'm saying? He had he had to do that homework before he considered that. So he understands the CBA, and I think what folks have to understand is that in this new under this new CBA, 
you have to build through the draft. It's not an option anymore because rookie contracts are the best contracts. You know, when you got an elite player playing on a rookie deal, that's the best value in the league, hands down. Yeah. I mean, Gordon Hayward just got a max deal. You know, Gordon Hayward. After, after that rookie deal, is right. After that rookie deal, you're going to overpay under the new CBA for mid-level talent. You, you just are. Like, there's no reason Chandler Parsons and Gordon Hayward should be making 15 mil a year next year. There, there's no way <laughs> those cats should be getting 15 mil a season. Like, that's ridiculous. But that's the new land. That's that's the new landscape, and so you mm-hmm. have to get guys while they're young. And LeBron knows knows that because he knows there isn't going to be that market for vets who are coming off, you know, who are coming off of a deal. You know that those guys aren't there anymore. I mean, who is that? I mean, even the next wave of guys. I mean, you know, Luau Dang after this deal may become a champion, you know, a guy who's hunting for a ring, you know, but who are those guys who are out there who are thirsty for a ring, you know, and hunting for that ring? There, there aren't those vets anymore. I mean, you know, and, it, and the thing, and what made this past kind of five to six years really unique is that you had guys who were, came up kind of toward the tail the end of Mike's run, um, had to deal with the Lakers' dominance with Shaq and Kobe and then the Spurs' dominance in between. And so what you had was was a, a upper class, a, a class of high-level players, veteran players who never got a chance to sniff a ring because they were in the Western Conference or, you know, they bumped heads with Mike's Bulls, you know, but they never got a chance to sniff a ring. You had Ray Allen. Who was in who was in the East for a while, and then went over there to the West and was in Seattle. Never got a chance to sniff a ring, so he was hungry for a ring towards the end of his career, willing to take less, willing to go wherever. You had KG, you know, superstar talent, never got close to a ring. So right now, you don't have those kind of guys who are superstar vets who are just thirsty for a ring, you know. You don't have because those guys haven't been. I mean, you got the San Antonio guys who got what they got. You got Kobe. He, he's his. He's good. It's gonna be when guys like the, the, the Carmelos, you know, at some point in his career, and we'll get to him in a minute. You know, Derrick Rose. You know, some of these kind of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. You know, depending upon how things play out, all of these cats ain't getting the ring. You know. All of these guys aren't getting a ring. So in another about five years, you're going to have a market for kind of higher gun veterans. But right now, you don't really have that. You know, there just aren't those guys out there. Because the guys that, you know, either they're too young and they're still in their prime competing and they've already linked up with somebody else to kind of get it done, like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, you know, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. You know, Derrick Rose is still hunting for Batman, you know, but he's got Noah. Um but, again, once those guys start to get to that point, then you'll start to see kind of the, a little bit more of a market for those kind of guys. But right now, these guys aren't out there. And so LeBron kind of sees that. And he figured, yeah. okay, well, if those hungry vets aren't out there, I need to get with some hungry young guys. 
you know. And when you think about defensively, what they can do in Cleveland, Irvin is Irvin has some issues defensively that he's gonna that he's gonna have to fix. But when you I you know watch the summer, I, you know I'm I'm a nut. I watch summer league, so I'm watching the summer league. Wiggins can play defense today. Now you know, and when I say this, but I don't mean this. Wiggins has a game that reminds me of my game when I was in college, when I first got to college. Now he's a way better athlete than I was, way just way more gifted than I was. Obviously, I don't want to sound like I'm pumping myself up, but this is Wiggins' deal. Wiggins doesn't know the difference. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a game plan offensively, defensively. He, he's like me. I could lie. Defensively, I could play college level defense from the day I got there, and that's why I played from the day I got there because I could play. I could D up whoever. But offensively, it took me a minute to figure it out, and it's going to take him a minute to figure it out because he doesn't know where he wants to shoot it from. He doesn't know where his spots are. You know, he doesn't. He he has no idea about any of that right now. He just run jump fast, and that was me. You know, I'm fast. I run jump. I'm, I can jump higher than you. I can run faster than you. That's what I'm gonna go do. And I'm gonna run out and play defense, you know. And he he has to figure all that out. But if he does, watch out, watch out. He's got he's got the tools to to be a T match kind of a player. His handle is shaky. He got to work on the handle. But defensively, they're gonna be a good defensive team right away. And they're gonna allow LeBron to get out and play free. You know, I think that's the other thing. In Miami, they were getting bogged down. You know, they were walking the ball up a lot because they just couldn't run the way they run it to run. You know, Shane Battier, you know, he runs and, and dust, you know, is coming off his shoes. You know, <laughs> you know Ray Allen come off the bench. Ray Allen come off the bench smelling like Bengay. <laughs> Has him coming in the game. You know, he take off his warm-up, mothballs fly out. <laughs> I mean, you know, they got old real fast, man. They got old real fast. So Birdman tattoos, fading. <laughs> you know, they just got they got they, they you know they they turned into the they turned into the 2011 Celtics real quick. Where it was just like just walking the ball up the court every rip. <laughs> right. right. Or the 80, that's not what 87 Celtics. Eighty-eight, right? Right. <laughs> you know that's not where that's not where they were scary. You know Miami was scary when they could get out and extend their defense, get out, trap, attack defensively. When Wade was when Wade was Wade and LeBron, I mean when LeBron and Wade turned it on on defense, it was scary. You know he could do that with Wiggins today. You know what I mean? They can do that defensively today. Offensively, you know. Kyrie can hold, can can carry. I mean, he just it's just a different mix in Cleveland, and I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I can't say whether or not it's a better situation in Miami because the proof is in the pudding in Miami. Um, you know, they had, you know, like you said, Phil, smart people. You got to trust smart people. Riley obviously could have made some moves um, to to kind of put something together. I like the right Mac Roberts move, the Danny Granger move. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Danny, I mean, Danny Granger just, I don't know, Danny Granger is kind of like D-Wade, where it's just like, you know, he hit that expiration date, and he just ain't the same. You know, he's just not even a show. What did you guys think about Pat Riley's press conference? (laughs) You got to have a (laughs) gun. 
I've been dying to ask you and Devon about that. What, what did you all think about that, and what what role do you think it played in LeBron's decision? I, I think it irritated him, and you know, Riley is as savvy as he is. He's great. His ego is his ego, and you know, there are moments where he just thinks he's back on the on the court coaching on the bench, and. You know, LeBron gave him everything he needed. He gave him all the sacrifice. He put all in. He played hard for the time he was in Miami. So I thought that was a little – if you really want to have have him come back, I thought that kind of shot was not going to do it. I was like, well, he's he going to irritate him. Um, and I bet – I think he's probably a little irritated by it. I thought it was – it was just – but Riley does it every once in a while. And I, was, I, I called it a Riley moment when I heard it. Yeah, I thought it was the wrong button to push. I thought it was the wrong button to push at the wrong time. Dude is still probably stinging from the championship loss, and you're going to go and try and pull, you know, pull that kind of a card, you know, to get a grip and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think I think it hurt. Um, I don't think it, it played a major role, but what I think it did was, it put LeBron in a spot where it's like, no, you get a grip, and if you want me to stay, you still got to do some work, dog. You know what I mean? Like, don't think I'm just going to stay because I'm supposed to. You still got some work to do, and you want to call me out, I'm going to sit back, and if you don't, if you ain't got nothing in play, I'm out. You know, I think, I and, and, and you know Riley is just Riley, man. Like, like D. Will said, Riley Riley had a Riley moment. He, uh, you know, again he tried to push a button, and as a as a coach, you do that. You try and push a button, and every now and then you hit the wrong button, and you you it's counterproductive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You hit the you know, button. Two thoughts. Two thoughts. First thought, um, Marcus, can you please create a drop of <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> Second thought. I think back to the days of Red Arbaugh, the days of no free agency, the days of, of no um, player agents, and, you know, he he's a guy that fought agents, and, you know, and, and even free agency when he was a GM in the 80s. You know, nail and tooth, he hated it. I think back to the summer of 2010 when these guys met LeBron and Boozer and Stoudemire and, and you know, Chris Paul and, well, well Paul wasn't a free agent, and Bosh and, and Way. Like, these guys met, and they were talking about what they were going to do before teams could even talk to them. And there was just this shift of these players taking more ownership and, and understanding their leverage, as Devon said back in 2010. And this is Riley being, you know, being close to that Arbaugh camp. I'm just, he came up a certain way, he played a certain way, he coached a certain way, he was a executive a certain way. And just these players, you know, like, like you're reading stories, Riley's, apparently he didn't have much access to LeBron. He had to go through his agent, and Riley hated that, I bet. And, and so, like, there's just a shift, man, and 
I think that press conference showed how, you know what, times are changing, Riley. They're changing. They're changing, and you need to catch up. Yeah, and, and and that's what it boiled down to. You know, it's that, you know, I'm not staying here unless I think you guys are putting me in a position to take care of my business on the court. And if that's not happening, then I'm gone. When I think in the past it was, this is my team and I'm going to roll with it. You know, I think Carmelo operated under that, you know, under that kind of old uh, perspective of I'm I'm, I'm going to stay. Like, you know, it, it, the money was the money was an issue with Carmelo going to Chicago, but if Carmelo wants to win a championship soon, and honestly, if I was Carmelo, once I found out LeBron was leaving Miami, I was taking, I was going to Chicago for at least two years, for at least two years, because the East was open. You know, the East was open; it was open for business, and so I would have immediately jumped at that that opportunity. Um, so. That's something I would have definitely jumped at, no doubt about it, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, if I'm Carmelo. Um, but I think Carmelo went under that, I'm a Nick, and I'm going to be a Nick. And I don't think, I think, you know, I think Riley underestimated LeBron's attachment to his home state. And that's the thing I want to talk about next as we move in. You know, LeBron made a, a very, very strong statement um, in his letter and that statement, I'm just going to take an excerpt, but that statement is, my relationship with Northeast Ohio is bigger than basketball. Um, oftentimes, guys like us call upon athletes to take on a greater responsibility for their communities. High profile, particularly African-American athletes, to kind of step up and fill some of these leadership voids that exist within the communities, um, really run with that, that mantle of being a role model and that, that position of being a role model for a lot of kids who don't have positive role models sitting outside their doors. These guys are the closest things these kids get to, to somebody who's doing something positive. And that's why so many kids want to be football players. They want to be basketball players because, you know, there ain't no doctors in their neighborhood. You know, people always say, well, how come these kids don't want to be doctors or lawyers? Because they don't live by no doctors and lawyers. All right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't live by nobody who's doing that. And so they don't know what that looks like. They don't know what that feels like. They do see ESPN quite often. They do see the highlights on the TV. And so that's what they gravitate towards because that's where they can see themselves. You know, a lot of these kids that grow up in, in poverty, you know, doctors living in their neighborhood. You know, there are some people doing some illegal things that live in their neighborhood. And so those are their role models unless they have something else. So what was your guys' thoughts around that particular and I want to get into that with my with my with my um I want to get into that get more into that particular point later. But I want to get your thoughts right now, and then you know I want to get us into the resistance digital dog of the week. But this, what are you guys' impressions of that particular statement about his relationship with Northeast Ohio? I want to start with you, PhD, because again, you are at the epicenter. I think you nailed it. And to my point earlier. You know, we we often criticize. I mean, there there wasn't a whole lot we could criticize about Jordan on the court, but that whole Republicans buy gym shoes too, and just how he pretty much abstained from nearly all political stuff. I mean, just just recently his statement as an owner about Sterling was kind of surprising that he took a stance there. But 
I think LeBron's figuring out what's going to be my legacy. And he's, he's doing things as a player that a lot of uh, athletes do after they retire. He's finding a way to not just write checks, you know, for good causes, but to be about good causes. And so I think that for him to for him to say that in his letter, it wouldn't have had as much pop as it had, because I think it was very powerful, unless he had already been walking the walk. He can talk about these kids in Akron, um, that he has pretty much did a calendar promise with, pretty much, you know, hey, you do this through K through 12, I'm paying for college. I mean, he has done so many things like that that it makes it a lot more credible in the letter. I think LeBron is... LeBron has figured out that if he wins five or six championships, he's not going to catch up to Jordan that way. He's not going to be spoken as uh, as one of the great athletes that way because, you know, I mean, you just can't. You're not the first, and people are always going to hold that against you. But what he's doing is he's creating a niche and, and, and kind of a model for other athletes to follow. My second point is, LeBron's put him a, himself in a place that you see Joe Namath is with with the Jets. Forty years after the fact, you know, Mark Sanchez is having a problem. They bring in Joe Namath. Joe Namath is, the, like, he is the New York Jets. He's the face of the Jets. The same way Magic Johnson is still the face of the Lakers. Something happens with the coaches. One of the first people they're going to tr- try to get a quote from is Magic Johnson. LeBron is now that guy for the Cleveland Cavs. If he stays there for the rest of his career, and this thing right here, even if he doesn't win a championship, dear himself to this entire region, and you know, in a lot of different ways that I don't think he would have had had he not come back and not come back this way, considering what happened in 2010. So the letter really capitalized that, especially when he talks about his relationship with Northeast Ohio that you brought up. Those things have kind of, you know, made it fine for the prodigal son to come back home. Well said, well said. So we're about eight minutes left in the show, fellas. And, I mean, we, we, we're digging into this whole LeBron thing. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, brought to you by Frederick's Accounting, Resistance Digital Solutions on the rocks in Rockville, Illinois, and XL Academics. Uh, we're going to pay some bills real quick, get into the dog of the week. Now we're going to get into our Resistance Digital dog of the week. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contact the Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at for your custom technology solutions today. 
All right, fellas. Y'all know how it goes. Let me get the drop ready. PhD. You know how we do. We need more dogs. Keyword dogs. I'm going to give you two this week. My first one is Tim Howard. I watched um, five or six World Cup matches over the last couple of weeks when it was going on, which is probably three or four more than I've ever watched in my life. And um, and in the game, the U.S. was eliminated and against Germany. Tim Howard, man, he the goalie. I mean, he kept them in it. And the only equivalent I can make it is the basketball, where you have a center who blocks twenty shots because the people in front of him just aren't doing their jobs. My second dog of the week is the game changer, Marcus. Four years ago. You said there's going to be a lot of regret about Joe Johnson. Somewhere <laughs> in the last two weeks, Billy King, the GM for the for the Nets, has been called into the office and pretty much been told, listen, Billy, um, you, you're being put on notice. We need something to happen this next year. And in this list of things that he hasn't done well, the Joe Johnson contract <laughs> was yeah. somewhere in that list. And so I'd like yeah. to say kudos for you, Marcus, for uh, – I listened to a show back in 2010, and uh, kudos for you, man, for uh, pulling that out. Hey, hey, same will be said for Gordon Hayward's deal. <laughs> well, somebody's going to be so like, bad. who gave him this contract? <laughs> who gave him this deal? Yeah, so – I appreciate it. I appreciate the nomination. I appreciate the nomination. Uh, D. Wills. We need more dolls. I think I'm going to continue with the World Cup. I, I've, I've really um, – I watched a lot of the World Cup matches and, and really learned a lot about the game and have come to appreciate it. And I really want to uh, give my dog of the week to the German team. I mean, they, uh, you know, went into a hostile territory, thinking about it, beat the Brazilians, the home team the host team, like 7-1. to one. I mean, that's a blowout. And then had yeah. this great match, final match uh, uh, against Argentina, against the great Messi. Um, and the, the game-winning goal was incredible with Mario, young 22-year-old kid. Um, but just solid play all the way through uh, to be the first European team to win um, in South America, World Cup. Uh, you got to go with the Germans. Jamaica is good. Yeah, Jamaica's good. Yeah. Jamaica's very good. Just <laughs> put Germany in there. <laughs> right. That's me, because they were, during that scene in the movie, they were watching soccer, right? Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yep. I like it. That's next level. My man. That's next level. I like my it. My man. My man. My man. <laughs> That's what we call him Pierre. Man, a whole, he got a whole bowl of weed. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was a candy dish. <laughs> you know how you go to your grandmother's house? She got that uh, She got that dish of butterscotch, the little butterscotch candies. <laughs> he had a bowl full of marijuana, just a bowl full of herbs. Like, yeah, just roll one up. Go ahead. Just help yourself. Right. Right. Not apples, not, not holiday nuts in the bowl, just weed. No. Yeah. No, just straight weed. <laughs> Oh, man. So I'm going to go ahead and drop mine. We need more dogs. 
And I, I again, I'm going dogs plural. Um, my dogs of the week, uh, and this wasn't this 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 was not playing listeners out there. This is just total coincidence. But I'm going with my man PhD and my man D Wills. Uh, PhD, happy anniversary, brother. Uh, celebrated anniversary last week. Um, Thank you. Yes, absolutely, man. Because you know, it, it's it's marriage is a beautiful thing, and you know, I'm glad to see you, you and Soldier repping, holding it down. Uh, and my man, D Wills, twenty years, twenty years coming up, twenty years in the game. You know what I'm saying? Twenty years in the game. Got a got an anniversary coming up next month. And I definitely want to yeah. say happy anniversary to you fellas. You guys are my role models. Um, just trying to trying to keep it real like y'all, man. Uh, and, and I want to just say I appreciate you fellas. Um, Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. As we move into the XL Academics last word, I want to take a moment. We got about 90 seconds. I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. But really wrapping this whole LeBron situation up for me and going back to that statement that he made about his relationship with his hometown, his home area, and how, you know, a lot of folks, young African-American professionals, are moving to places like Atlanta, D.C., um, because there's just more of us there. Um, but in the same sense, you know, what LeBron's decision represents is a move for folks to go back to their own communities and give back, um, especially for these northern states. That, you know, there's a lot of research. There's a kind of a, a new migration of young African-Americans moving back south, um, you know, we need some folks up here, up in the north. And hats off to LeBron for bringing it back home, you know, reinvesting and recognizing that his community needs him. $500 million is the estimated amount that he brought back into the uh, Northeast Ohio communities in the Cleveland. It's worth wow. the franchises, you know, to a billion dollars. Crazy. So, you know, we all can make a difference. Go back home, invest in your community. Um, and help those that are following the same path you follow. So that's the Real Sports Guy signing off. We'll catch you next week. We got Inside the Park coming on tomorrow with Hank at 8.30 Central Time. Make sure you check it out. Till then, same time, same place next week. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.